Well, this, this morning, I'm going to continue on the series that I've been on. This is week five of Armed and Dangerous. And I hope that it has been encouraging to you. I hope it's been strengthening to you. And, uh, you know, because these are just foundational things. Uh, you know, early on in the series when I first started, I told you that, you know, we're in a fight. And we are, and most of us are aware of it, but, the, you know, but equally, we need to know, okay, well, if I'm in a fight, how do I fight? And, uh, you know, I, you know, I always, my dad used to always tell me this. He's like, look, I don't ever want to hear that you threw the first punch. But I don't want you to be somebody's punching bag. And he says, and I don't want you to, uh, to fight to be nice. I want you to fight to win. You know, and so it's kind of like, well, whatever you got to do, right, <laughs> uh, to win because, you know, I was a late bloomer, and so I was much smaller than everybody else around me. And, um, you know, like, you know, especially as I got into high school. Of course, I was younger than everybody. I was one of the youngest people in my class as well. And so those combinations meant that people outweighed me by sometimes as much as 100 pounds. And, uh, you know, and so that was my dad's advice was just don't fight fair and uh, fight to win. And, uh, you know, and so, you know, I mean... We want, but that's the way we ought to approach the devil too. I'm not trying to fight to get him to leave me alone. I'm fighting to win. And I want to walk in victory and I want you to walk in victory. And so we've been in this series called Armed and Dangerous because some of you may not realize that you're armed. And if you don't know that you're armed, you definitely don't know that you're dangerous. But you can be. You are armed, but you can be dangerous. But you've got to know the reasons and, and how that that <coughs> excuse me, comes about. And so we've been looking, and we'll look at this verse here in just a few moments, but kind of the, the, the verse that spawned this whole thing comes out of Psalms 144, verse 1. And David writes and says, Praise the Lord who is my rock. He says, He trains my hands for war and gives my fingers skill for battle. The Holy Spirit will help train you like an expert trainer so that you can win the battle against the enemy. Because we have an enemy. The Bible says, don't forget that you have an enemy who's looking for someone to devour. So he's looking for somebody who's susceptible to his tricks, to his tactics. And here it says that God will prepare us for the battle. And so, you know, we've seen this over the last few weeks. And so, you know, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Ephesians 6. And we're going to read our verse, uh, really our context, the main focus of it. But here's something that is a true reality for you right now. Is that you have been given the whole armor of God. You're not waiting to get a piece. You're not deficient in any way. But you have been given the full armor of God. You have everything you need to successfully combat any opposing force. You lack nothing to win. I'll say that again. You lack nothing that you need to win against the enemy. At every level. The enemy can try to come. But he can't win if we'll simply walk in light of scripture. This is what I've learned about, a Christ, about the Christian life. When I live in accordance to scripture. Things tend to work a lot better than when they do when I'm just trying to act like a Christian in my own strength. You know, and, and so it's important that we walk in light of the Word of God. That we always, you know, that's our anchor, the Bible says. It's the anchor of our soul. Why? Because it doesn't move. Um, you know, culture can change. Opinions can change. But God's Word is fixed. It, it's solid and it's something that can be relied upon in our life. And so, here in Ephesians chapter 6, 
We've been reading through this, these verses every week, but it says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. So I'm going to remind you, this power does not come from us. It, it comes from a dependency upon God. So be strong in the Lord, not yourself, and His mighty power. Don't think you've got this, He's got this. There's a dependency that needs to happen for this all to work. Verse 11 says, put on all of God's armor, not just a select few or maybe most, but he says, put it all on so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies, the schemes, the tricks of the devil. So put on the whole armor so that you can stand against him. Another way to say this, so that you can withstand him. When he comes, that you can stand up and and take the force of anything he may try to do. It says in verse 12, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This is a spiritual battle. This is not natural. It's not just, you know, and I've shared in previous weeks, there are many times that even people can seemingly be against us or at odds against us in the natural and it seems like something is up why do they just not like me there may be more going on and they and i'm not saying that they are demon possessed but they can definitely be influenced even as believers we can be influenced if we allow it doesn't mean the devil has ownership but it does mean that he can influence if we allow him to well people can even you know i mean there's even situations circumstances family members uh, you know, I'll give you an, an example, just a quick one of this. My family moved when I was about six years old into a new home. Uh, you know, and so I was, I don't know, I think I was about six. I was in second grade, or right after my second grade finished up, we moved. And, uh, you know, my parents are lovely people, but they argued. But when we moved, the arguing went to a whole different level. Like, I mean, just through the roof. I remember my parents one time, uh, I was laying under the Christmas tree putting lights or ornaments or something on, and they got in an argument about the Christmas tree, and, they were, and, the, and my mom made the, word, made the statement, do we need to call the lawyer? Well, I know what she's talking about. You know, well, you know, this went on for, I mean, maybe a couple of years, two, three years, and they're just at each other constantly, constantly, constantly. Well, finally, they came to a realization that, hey, there's something more at work here. So we got together as a family. We prayed. We actually, I mean, I remember it as a kid that we went and we stood outside in the carport and we took some vegetable oil and we anointed the door with oil and we prayed as a family. And we said, whatever this is going on in this home, we're going to break it in the name of Jesus. A couple years later, we found out the previous three families who had lived there had all sold the home because they had gotten divorced. Well, that wasn't just a natural thing at work. There was a spirit that had found a home and says, hey, I'm going to wreak havoc. And anybody who comes here, I'm going to tear these families apart. Now, not everything. Sometimes, you know, like in this instance, you might be fighting in your home, but you just need to learn how to control your temper. That could be part of the problem. But it could also be there's a demonic force at work as well. And so, but it's not just a natural fight. You, You know, I'll say it this way, is that you fight spiritual things spiritually. And that's important that we have the discernment, which is important. It's one of the things you ought to be asking the Lord for anytime that you're facing a challenge. Lord, give me the wisdom to see properly. Now, there's a gift of discernment in Scripture. But we, the Lord, and the, through the Holy Spirit, will give us discernment in our life. Lord, is this like a consequence of my bad decisions? Or is there something else at work here? Because I need to know. If I'm going to fix it, I need to know. If it's my fault, I need to fix what I did to get it here. But if there's something else at work that's the enemy at work, 
then the changing or the correcting of what my perceived behavior won't change the circumstance. Because my, circ- my, my behavior is not dictating the circumstance. It's an evil spirit at work. Now, here's the good news. We have authority over the devil. Amen. It's not even a question. Jesus said, I mean, did Jesus ever get overwhelmed by the devil? Never. You're like, yeah, but the devil killed him. No, Jesus said, I lay down my life. Nobody takes it from me. And he was in, he, you know, even scripturally speaking, if the devil could have kept him in hell, he would have. So the devil never got an upper hand on Jesus, ever. Even when he thought he had, which was through his death and burial, the Bible says that if he would have known what was going to come out of it, he would have never allowed Jesus to go to the cross and to the grave. Why? Because the devil would have just had a problem while Jesus lived. But Jesus was a man, so he would have had a problem for Jesus' lifetime. The fact that he allowed Jesus to go to the grave, he didn't count on him raising from the dead, and he definitely didn't count on the knockdown effect for thousands of years of those who would come to follow Christ. So, I say all that to say this. Did Jesus have authority over the devil? Yes. Well, Jesus also told the disciples, which now includes us, I have given you all of my power and all of my authority here on earth. So, if the devil couldn't get an upper hand on Jesus, he doesn't have to get an upper hand on us because we've been given power and authority over him. So, verse 13. So, we, we have an enemy. We understand that we're, it's a spiritual battle and we need discernment. Verse 13 says, Because of this battle, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. So, this is interesting here is that there are times of evil. You need all of this armor. Maybe not all the time, but you need to have it on. Why? Because there is coming a time where the devil will come visit you. Go look in um, uh, Luke 4 in the wilderness. It says that the enemy came to tempt Jesus four different times. I'm sorry, came three different times to him to tempt him. And it says in the end that Jesus resists him every time with the word of God, which we've talked about and we'll look at some more even today. He resisted him through what the word of God said. And then at the end it says that the enemy left him until he could find a better, more opportune moment. See, the thing we have to understand about the way the enemy works is it is not a constant 24 hours a day, 7 days a week onslaught. It's not always that way. But we need to be in a, in a mindset, though, that we are ever ready. That we are ready for a fight. Why? Because he is looking. He is searching for those. And so here it says... Therefore, put on every piece of armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. He says, then after the battle, you will be standing firm. He says in verse 14, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, which we looked at in week two. The body armor of God's righteousness was week three. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. That was last week. Verse 16, he says, in addition, other translations say, above all things, hold up the shield of faith... To stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Other, one, other translations say, um, hold, or above all, hold up the shield of faith wherewith you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. 
And so this morning, this is what we're going to look at is the shield of faith. And so I'm going to teach a little differently this morning. And so I'm just going to tell you up front uh, to kind of some things you want to listen for. Because I'm going to tell you some stuff and then I'm going to say the words, here's how this applies or this is the application, which is, okay, I've just told you some information. Now, how does that affect me in my day-to-day life? I think there's five different applications that I'm going to give you this, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Let me see here. One, two, three, four, five. There's five. So five different applications. So let's look at this. Number one, um, starting off here in, in verse 16, it says, um, other, New King James says, above all, this one here says, in addition to all of these, says, take up the shield of faith. So, number one, here it says, above all, and many people have taught that the most important part of the armor is the shield of faith because it says, above all. Well, really, that's not accurate according to, if you study it out a little bit and find out what the words are actually saying. What it does mean is that out in front of everything. In other words, it's the first line of defense. The first line of defense is our faith. It it is, and it acts as a shield, and I'm going to give you some understanding is that faith is not of greater importance, but it is our first line. It is our first line of defense against the enemy. And so it says above all or in front of everything else, you need to have your faith out there in front of you. Now, you know, there's some things about this, but here's one of the other things. Almost every other part of the armor is worn. You know, you got a helmet, it goes on, a breastplate, it goes on, loins are around your waist, shoes are tied to your feet. The shield, which was kept on the left arm, had hand or had straps that they would hold it with, and a sword. Most of them also carried a javelin. Those were the only three that were actually not specifically attached to you, uh, per se. But here he says to take up the shield of faith. In other words, you've got to make a decision. I'm going to live a life of faith. I'm not going to live by my circumstances. I'm not going to live by what uh, things tell me. I'm going, I make the determination that I will live by faith. In other words, my circumstances don't affect my decisions. The Word of God determines my decisions. So we have to be willing to take up the shield of faith. Now, I'm going to teach several things here, um, you know, this morning about this. But it's important that we understand this. Because a shield is maybe not what we have thought of. You know, because we see pictures and they have these little, looks like a trash can top. You know, I remember as a kid taking like a trash can top and being like, that's my shield, you know. Captain America, little disc, you know, kind of thing. That is not what they were at all. As a matter of fact, they were anything but. They were three and a half feet or so tall. They were slightly rounded, but they were actually rectangular. And some of them were up to three feet wide. But they were not metal. Most people believe they were, you know, you see shows and you hear ding, ding, ding. And the, you hear all the, the blades clashing. They weren't. They were made of leather. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you all these things here in, shortly. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. But, so here's what you know, though. If you don't take up your shield, if you don't pick up faith as your guard, you are exposed. Yeah. You're exposed. Uh, you know, and so let me give you some... Um, a little bit of background here as to some of the language that this was written in. When Paul writes and calls it the shield of faith, in the Greek word, that word is a thurus, and it really actually is a door. A door, and it actually was shaped like more like a door than it was, you know, I mean, it was more like a rectangle door, like we have going, think of your front door on your house. 
What would be in your house if you had no front door? You'd have some stray animals. You might get a raccoon or a skunk or, you know, you just never know what might be under your bed when you went there at night. You might have all kinds of critters. Why? Because there's no protection, right? A front door gives you security. What if somebody came and stole the front door off your house and left everything else? Would you feel secure because, well, they didn't come in. They just took the front door. No, you wouldn't feel secure. Why? Because there's a gaping hole in the front that says, hey, come in, please. This word actually means, when it talks about a shield, it actually is the word, a door. It's wide, it's tall, it's slightly curved. It was made up of six layers of thick leather woven tightly together. So, and there was multiple reasons for this. Number one, it was because it was lighter. To try to do some type of metal of any form, number one, they would take forever to make. It would be very difficult to make. They could mass produce these in a sense. But, you know, I mean, this is the way, this is the best way that I know how to communicate how these were made. Think of plywood. If you know how plywood is made, it's a lot of pieces of plywood. And the grain runs this way, and the grain runs this way, and then the grain runs this way, and the grain, and then what? They're glued and pressed together. That's what makes plywood so strong. The same principle was with their shield. It's actually the exact same method that we use today to make bulletproof clothing you know like kevlar is made that way it's fabric running this way fabric and they stack it because you could take a solid piece of anything and it's not as strong as something that's stacked like this so it was actually a laminated piece of armament if you will and so what it was it was so um, they actually say that it was uh, nearly as strong as steel is today leather that's thick heavy skin leather and so, you know, we have several things here that we see is that even in the natural is that it was a pretty intricate apparatus, if you will. But the whole point was, could it stop? Because the main weaponry of the day were two things, were arrows and swords. Could it stop those things? Could it, you know, could it help? And so, you know, and so even when we're understanding this, even in a spiritual sense, um, well, let me keep going. I don't want to get ahead of myself. So let me just answer this question real quick, because where does faith come from? If we have a shield of faith, it doesn't do any good to have a shield if I don't know how to, how to use it or how to get it, how to apply it. Faith comes, number one, where the will of God is known. That's the most basic definition. Faith begins where you know what God wants in your life. You can't have faith to be healed if you're like, I don't think God will heal me. Doesn't mean that can't change, because it can change. You may not believe that God wants to bless you. You're going to have to get faith in your heart. Uh, and well, how do you do that? It comes to the word of God. Let me give you a couple of verses here. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Very familiar passage of scripture. He says, faith is the assurance, the confirmation of things hoped for, or things that are divinely granted, and the evidence of things not seen. The conviction of their reality. I believe I'm healed even though I have symptoms. I believe that I can be generous even though I'm limited right now. I believe that my circumstances will not stay the way they are. I believe my marriage can be better. 
I believe that my kids can actually love me. I believe that we can actually have peace in our home, even though it feels like chaos. It takes faith. What is faith? It's believing in what I cannot see with my natural eyes. I have a belief and a conviction beyond my natural viewpoint. I love the Amplified how it adds this. It says that faith comprehends as, as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. Faith perceives as fact what cannot be sensed with just my, what I see, hear, experience, all those types of things. Faith can actually change my perspective. Why? Because my eyes are not just in this moment. My eyes are looking forward. You know, we, I've, we've kind of talked about this a little bit throughout this series, but David and Goliath, he was speaking by faith when he looked at Goliath and says, Today I will feed you to the birds of the air. That was a faith statement, a really big one. Just for context, by the way, Goliath's shield was so big, he had to have a man carry it for him. It was his armor bearer. He was the only person between David and Goliath, was the guy holding his shield. It was huge. Of course, Goliath was a big man. He needed a big shield. It makes sense. Romans 10, 17 says this, is that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The only way to build your faith is to build the Word of God inside of you. You keep feeding yourself with the Word of God. You keep meditating on Scripture and light will come. Revelation will come. But it only comes when we apply the Word of God. But we have to get it in us so that faith can actually... Why? Because if you meditate on a verse, if you allow it to roll around in your heart, roll around in your heart, roll around in your heart, you're thinking about it, you're meditating on it. It means to chew. Chew on it. Think about like a a cow chewing his cud. If you have any idea what that is, it's not the most pleasant experience in the world, but he chews it, swallows it, comes back up, chews it some more, not done with it. Technically, it's going from one stomach to another, but that's a whole other... We're not here for biology, but that's what's going on. It means to just keep rehashing it. Father, I thank you that I'm the healed of the Lord. I thank you that Jesus took stripes upon his back so that I could be made whole and well right now. Father, I thank you that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will quicken this physical flesh body. And you keep saying those things, and guess what's happening? Your faith level's rising. Father, I thank you that I have the mind of Christ, that that peace guards my heart, guards my thoughts. I thank you that Jesus said that my peace, that his peace would be my peace, that he gave it to me as a gift. And Father, I thank you that in the midst of this moment right now that doesn't feel very peaceful, I thank you that I have peace. That's the shield of faith. Why? Because you're not looking at the moment, you're looking ahead and you're saying this is what has been provided for me. And so here's the application of this. Faith is the door of your heart, but faith is personal. You can have other people pray for you, pray with you, agree with you, but there comes a point where it's got to become yours. It's got to be personal. It, it, it has to be. Let me say it this way, is that no one else can carry your shield for you. Now, I'm going to show you, and I say that because it's important. Why? Because it doesn't only just affect you, but it also affects others, which we'll look at here in a few minutes. We all have times that we need people. And that's fine. Because why? It's life. And there's times that anybody gets overwhelmed. But you've got to have your own shield. 
We use uh, faith to close the door to fear in our life. This is an example. One of the doors of the enemy is to get you to fear, and that rips the front door right off your house. But how do you get the front door back? You've got to put the shield of faith there. Fear opens the door. Faith closes the door to the enemy. Think Job, the thing I have greatly feared. Everybody's like, oh, well, the, you know, God gave uh, you know, the devil permission. Well, no. Job opened the front door and never shut it. And because of Job's decision, God had no choice but to give the devil permission because the devil's like, hey, I have legal right to affect that man. And the only reason he's serving you is because you're protecting him, although I have legal access. And, and Job's own admission is, the thing I have greatly feared has come upon me. This thing I have dreaded. So, if you're in fear, you need to get faith in place so you can shut the door, deadbolt it ten times up. Yeah. Why? Because we don't want the enemy coming in. So we want to close that. So, you know, um, here's something else about the, uh, and this was really interesting as I was studying this, but something about the, obviously, uh, Paul was using a Roman soldier's attire to communicate spiritual truth. But one of the things that he did, uh, one, of the, or one of the things that the Romans were known for was something, and you may have seen this depicted in a TV show or, you know, a movie or whatever, but it was called uh, a Roman testudo. Or this, it was actually called a, we would say it as a tortoise formation. They would take their shields and they would actually just use it for a battalion or a platoon or however you want to say it. They all had their own shields. And so what they would do, because the main weaponry of the day, especially for any distance at all, was a bow and arrow. You know, a bow and arrow doesn't work too well when you're trying to fight like this. <laughs> right? Because you ain't got room to do this. So now, you, But... One of the greatest, really, and, and the Romans were ahead of their time when it came to military. Because remember a couple of weeks ago I was telling you about them, and one of the things that they did was they wanted to have a smaller, more highly trained, but very agile group. So think of it this way. They were like the original SEAL team. Like, hey, we don't need 500 troops. We need like 6 or 12. We don't need a lot. But those guys are going to be bad to the bone and highly trained. So what the Romans would do is they would all, they actually had created the shield in a very unique manner that changed the way that battle was fought. Because they could walk into the, you know, you've seen the shows where, you know, arrows come and it looks like they're just a black cloud coming. That is actually how it worked. They would get every guy on a wall, every one of them would grab a, a bow, grab his arrow, and they would pull back and they'd say, ready, aim, and it looked like just a cloud of death coming. Well, that's how traditionally it was fought. And basically, you had to advance while they were reloading and hoping you didn't get stuck when they shot again. The Romans changed that because they designed a shield that was different than anything that had ever been seen or known to that point. So they used what's called the tortoise, what we would refer to as the tortoise formation. What it actually did was the... Um, the sword or the shields could actually hook up together. Think of it. I mean, this is not really a great, but I don't know how else to say it. Think of it is that they would hinge together. So, in other words, one shield became, or a lot of shields became one shield. And so, literally, what they would do is the men on the outside would take their shield and hold it like this. So they were exposed on three sides, right? 
holding it to the side. The guys in the back would actually either turn around backwards and hold it like this, or they would hold it like that. And they'd do it all the way around. And the guys in the middle all took their shields and turned them up. They're armored to arrows. They linked together so there were no gaps. And so what they could do is just walk. Where everybody else would have to hunker down and try to dodge arrows, those men could just walk and almost be completely covered. They had no fear of an arrow. Why? Because they would just, beep, they'd just ricochet off. That arrow would come. And they could just walk right into the midst of a firestorm. In a sense, they were bulletproof before bulletproof. And they were able to take a lot of ground very quickly. They call it the tortoise. Why? Because it resembled a turtle shell. I mean, you think about how much of a turtle do you see? Got some little legs and a head if he wants to show it to you. And if he don't want to show you none of it, he just sucks it all in. Right? The Romans could do the same thing. And all, I mean, if nothing else, they could just squat down and it was literally, they were shielded. You couldn't get a sword in there. I mean, it's pretty impressive. I was, I was watching some things, because I'm, you know, I'm a history guy and I enjoy that kind of stuff. And So I actually went to look you know, at some things and they had reenacted something that the Romans were known to do. Let's say that a man was either captive or wounded on the battlefield. One of the things they would do is to encircle him with their shields out so that they could assess the damage and see if he can make it or not. Or to do whatever, if he was bound up, they would get him free. And then they would all step, step. And even with people trying to fight them. It's really interesting. But this is part of how they would work. And so the soldiers would band together, hooking their shields to protect the group. To protect the whole. So here's the application for us. There's safety within a group. Let me say another. There's safety in a church. When you're out there by yourself, you have a shield. The problem is you're exposed on three sides. You need somebody watching your backside. Let me say it even further. You need somebody who knows enough about your life to say, hey, we need to talk. You're exposed back here, and I don't think you see it, but I'm telling you, you're opening the door to the devil here. Now we, you know, well, I'm free to do what I want. Nobody tells me what to do. I, I get it. Proverbs says that a faithful friend will stab. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I love the the quote. A true friend will stab you in the front, not in the back. In other words, I know this hurts, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. That requires relationship. It's important for us as believers that we are actually in relationship with one another. It's great that we come to church together, but coming to church does not equate to a relationship, to a connection, a heartfelt connection one with another. So if you're isolated, you're a prime target to be picked off. We see this in the animal kingdom. We just do. Predators, I mean, take a lion. They don't look for, I mean, a lot of people say, oh, they look for the wounded animal because they they don't run as fast. No, they look for the one that's isolated. Why? Because they can lock in on one target. They're not trying to follow five or six of them. If the lion wants to go get an antelope, he ain't going to go chase the herd. He's going to look for the one by himself. 
The enemy does the same with us. So why? So the other side of this is that we can also help others. When we have our shield intact, not only does it protect us, but just like those Roman soldiers could take it and put it above their head and put it to their side and protect the group, there's something powerful that happens when you get with other believers and partner up. Why? Because now you can have all sides covered. That's, that's the, really the beauty of the church is that we can help cover each other's blind spots. We all have them. Through our upbringing, through experience, through whatever it may be, we all have blind spots in our life. You know, I had a truck, a vehicle, well, one of Darius' cars. You know, it would tell you when a car was in your blind spot. You start changing lanes, you build boop, boop, boop. They don't go over there. <laughs> Why not? I have a right to be in that lane. Well, so does that person who's in your blind spot that you're about to hit. Yeah. So don't go in that lane. We need people in our life to say, hey, that you got a blind spot right there. Yeah. You, you, I know you don't see it, but I'm telling you, you need to be careful because this is going to cost you. Now, there was one particularly uh, weak area of the shield. And, um, and it specifically became if it wasn't cared for. Now, the shield was an amazing weaponry. One of the things that they had was that it was, you know, like I said, it was this layer, layered leather that was basically laminated. It had a thing right in the middle, a ball, that was actually most of the time was brass, and they called it a boss. And you could take it and ram it into your opponent, specifically in the chest, because <laughs> it would stun them. I mean, it was solid metal, and so they just... It was, well, it'd be left-handed, but <laughs> but they would use it offensively as well, with the purpose of stunning your opponent so that you can get the advantage. That was the purpose. But there was a very there was one weak area about the shield, and it was this: is that it required daily application of oils. It was leather. You ever owned leather shoes and you didn't put oil on them? They crack, right? They get they start to tear up. Why? Because you didn't take care of it. Well, the same was true. It was actually part of their daily routine that when a soldier got up, the first thing he did every morning was grab oil and begin to oil both sides of his shield. Why? Because that is the only thing that stood between him and life and death. That was that first line of defense. And so he had to daily apply oils to keep the leather from becoming stiff and brittle, which ultimately could result in him losing his life. Why? Because... When leather gets brittle, it just breaks. When you're trying to withstand an arrow from a long distance with a lot of momentum, you don't want it breaking. You want to make sure that that leather, because leather strength is not when it gets dried. Leather strength is only there when it's thoroughly hydrated. And the more dehydrated it becomes, the less it actually can withstand. Think about like the leather seats in your car. You don't put something on them, they're going to start to crack. They start tearing up. Why? Because they're exposed to the heat, they're exposed to sunlight, they're exposed to all these kinds of things. So how does this apply to us? We need continual exposure to the work of the Holy Spirit. Specifically, the anointing of God so that our faith can be effective against our enemy. A dry shield is not a good shield. It's just not. So how do so that oil for us spiritually speaking is the anointing of God. Well, how do we do? How do we apply the oil of God? We've got to put ourselves continually, constantly, regularly in a place to receive from the Lord. 
That keeps our faith active. It keeps our faith sharp. It keeps our faith alive. Our faith won't become dry and stale and day old manna. No, we've got to have the life of God very regularly. The Romans did it every day. Why? Because it mattered life and death. And what I'm telling you is that your shield of faith is a matter of your life and death. Maybe not physically per se. It can be. But spiritually, absolutely. So we need that, we need that connection to the Lord personally. Not just somebody else's story that somebody else had told me one time. No, we've got to keep ourselves. We do that through prayer. We do it through worship. We do it through gathering together as believers. We do it through the reading of the Word of God. We do it through prayer. There's lots of ways. You need to figure out how you connect with God and, and meet Him regularly there. Amen. However that works for you, it works differently for everybody. You know, some people are just bent different ways. But I like to spend time with the Lord at night because I'm a night person. I don't want to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Why? Because nothing good goes on at 5 o'clock in the morning. I know the Lord can speak to some of you at 5 o'clock in the morning. He chooses to speak to me at like 10 to midnight. You know, that's just the way he... That's when he chooses to talk, so that's when I show up. And uh, it's not legalism. But you need to figure out what works for you. You need to have some disciplines in your life. Here's the next part of this verse here in Ephesians 16 or 6.16. Let me get back in the right translation. So he says, in addition to all of these things, hold up the shield of faith... Why? So that we can start, stop the fiery darts or the fiery arrows of the devil. Now here, it's, this is kind of interesting, but, um, you know, other translations, and I said this earlier, is that it says to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Uh, the shield was primarily, uh, was, was used primarily to stop arrows and other flying projectiles from hitting their intended targets. That was their number one purpose. Now, they were used offensively, used for other things. But number one, and primarily they were used to, to really to knock out arrows and to keep people safe. Now, here's um, what, something that's kind of interesting. Again, I'm kind of a history person, so this strikes me as very interesting. Because I've, I've seen this in movies, and I've always thought, well, that couldn't happen. You know, you see the flaming arrows, and they go and they hit some, and it looks like a little bomb goes off and goes, and you're like, it's just cotton on the end of an arrow. How did it do that? I found out how. So they would take cane, think like bamboo. They would fill it with some type of flammable fluid. They would put whatever they were using for their ignition on the end, light it. So this is what would happen. They would draw their arrow. And when it hit, that cane would explode, throwing that flammable ignition everywhere. So not only did that one arrow hit that one man, it would actually be more like a grenade. And it would have shrapnel, would be our terminology for it. There would be fallout from that, even that one arrow. So here, and I think it's interesting that Paul uses this language, the fiery darts of the devil. Now I'm going to give you an example naturally of this. Have you ever been in a group where gossip comes? And one little dart comes in, but instantly there's fallout. There's shrapnel that goes out from that. 
did y'all hear about so-and-so? And instantly, that thing goes from just like a little flaming arrow to like a little mini bonfire. And then it just starts spreading like a cancer. Even though no one even knows if it's true. That's a fiery dart of the wicked one. Instantly. That's pretty. So here was the, the idea behind it. Is that they wanted to do maximum damage with a single arrow. That was their goal. How can we not have to shoot ten arrows? Let's figure out a way to shoot one but still affect ten people. That was how they did it. It was kind of like the initial idea behind her grenade. That was the, the whole thought behind it. So how's the, here's the application to this for us today. The word quench is this. It means to render ineffective. doesn't mean the arrow stops coming. It just means you're not going to affect me. You're not going to affect me with this. So the enemy may hurl thoughts our direction, seeing if they will stick. Because that was part of the, the hope when they shot an arrow was to stick it into something. Like if they could stick it into the roof of a house, guess what? The roof was going to catch on fire. So the enemy will send thoughts our way. I told you this early on in the series that most of this is, is a mental warfare that we're fighting. The enemy is trying to convince us of something other than God's word. Anything other than God's word. He wants to get us off our focus. So the enemy's hurling thoughts our direction, seeing if he can get any to stick. These can be thoughts of temptation or sin or unbelief, discouragement, even questions about God or to accuse God or even the torment of our soul, bring up our past. Well, God can't do that for you because you did this. Well, your first marriage failed, so this one here, you might as well just go ahead and sign the papers. This one's over too. That's an accusation. That's a fiery dart of the wicked one. What? To destroy and trying to influence and produce maximum damage. You might as well just quit praying for them kids. There's no hope. There's always hope. Are they breathing? The story's not done being written yet. So you keep on because that's faith. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm moved by my promise. So the enemy will try to come and to get these thoughts to come. We're to use the shield of faith to stop these arrows. Faith gives us confidence in God. When I trust God's word, it gives me confidence in him. So I don't have to doubt. I don't have to question. I don't have to pull back and be like, well, but... Fill in your blank, whatever you want it to be. No, I have confidence in God. God is faithful to His Word. God is faithful to me. God will do what He said He will do for me. That's the shield of faith. So it gives us confidence in God. It gives us confidence in His promises. It gives us confidence in His aid and His support to us. He said He would never leave us. He said He would never fail us. I mean, look, I can't tell you how many times I pray, God, I know I can't feel you right now, but I believe you're here. I don't sense you at all, but I, by faith... I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you're strengthening me. 
be times I'd lay down and go to sleep and be like, Father, all day I've not sensed your presence, but I thank you as I, as I sleep tonight. I thank you that my spirit never sleeps. That you're restoring my strength. That you're restoring my joy. That's the shield of faith. I mean, I, there was a time, it's been a really long time ago now, but where I was just having these crazy dreams, just odd stuff. And I started praying every night before I went to bed. Started applying the shield of faith to my life. Father, I thank you that I think about things that are godly. I thank you that my dreams are not influenced by the enemy. I thank you that my mind is protected. I have the mind of Christ. Thoughts I command you to line up with the word of God. And I thank you that my sleep is sweet and peaceful and restful. I did it every night for months. For months. I was putting faith in it. And guess what? I won. That's been nearly 20 years ago. God didn't design sleep for torment. He designed sleep for rest. Why? Because we need it. And if we can't sleep, it's the enemy trying to rob from you. So we've got to learn to think right. Thoughts that agree with God's word. We've got to think right. The application of that is to take the shield of faith. Or to take care of your shield of faith. To take up your shield of faith. To protect you. Your family. And to even help others. So we got to think right. you got to take care of your shield. you got to get along with God. you got to spend some time in the presence of God. Take up your faith. It's your responsibility to take up your faith for your life. But you can protect yourself, your family. But when you do, you can actually help others as well. You can only use what you know in your heart. That's why it's personal. And I always use these guys as a joke because it's funny to me. Seven sons of Sceva. In the name of Jesus that Paul talks about. That ain't faith. That's presumption. That's saying, well, it worked for them. It'll work for me. Your breakthrough may look nothing like anybody else's breakthrough you've ever heard. That's why you need to go hear from God. Lord, how do you want to do this? What is my role in this moment? What do I need to be doing? How do I need to be praying? Is there somebody else that I need to be getting in agreement with me about this specific circumstance? How am I to fight this battle specifically? Because it's personal. God may give you wisdom or understanding in an area of your life that He's never given to anybody else because it's the perfect wisdom for your situation. But it's personal. So we have to apply the oil of God's anointing to our life, our faith, or our life and faith, and it will protect and save us. The shield of faith will protect. We've got to care for it. We've got to be intentional about it. We've got to keep the shield up A shield laying on the ground does no one any good. Pick up the shield of faith. It will save and protect you. Amen.